0: the news or listen to the news or I read the news and sometimes it can be where just one bad news after bad news. But let me just share some good news with you. God is not dead. All right. I hope we believe that today. The Bible still has the answers. All right. A few less believe that one. (coughs) Prayer is the most powerful thing on earth. Amen. Amen. God still honors the praises of His people. Here's a good one. Jesus still saves. And there is still room at the cross, and one of the greatest is Jesus still loves you. I'm so thankful for the news, the good news of the gospel. You know, but there's other good news I want to share with you too, before we get into the message today, but I just I just it's hard to contain it because there's so much bad news and negativity today, I just want to share some really great news with you this morning. And, uh, and as we, we think about all that we've gone through as a nation, one of the things, there's a couple of things that got covered up in, uh, in the news, and this week I learned that the last abortion clinic in Missouri closed its doors. Amen. I, amen. Thank you. Amen. Isn't that great? Now, what's really cool is we are the first state to officially be deemed abortion-free state. Amen. Praise God. Amen. Isn't that awesome? Now you won't, probably won't see that on the news uh, but uh, we'd rejoice in that. Also, uh, Friday was proclaimed Religious Freedom Day and I quote uh, it says, Faith inspires hope and I thank brother, uh, Sister Betty Hilton for sending this to me. Faith inspires hope, deeply embedded in the heart and soul of our nation. This transcendent truth has compelled men and women of uncompromising conscience to give glory to God by worshiping both openly and privately, lifting up themselves and others in prayer. On Religious Freedom Day we pledged to always protect and cherish this fundamental human right. When the pilgrims first crossed the Atlantic Ocean more than 400 years ago in pursuit of religious freedom, their dedication to this first freedom shaped the character and purpose of our nation. And later, with the signing of the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, and the Bill of Rights, their deep desire to practice their religion unfettered from government institution was realized. Since then, the United States has set an example for the world in permitting believers to live out their faith in freedom. We rejoice in those things. Man, and, and I'm thankful that we can be part of this great nation. And I, I know that uh, we look at some things today and we think, man, this, is, this world has gone crazy, but I'm thankful that God still reigns. And that's why I started with good news this morning. is because we need good news of the gospel and of the Lord Jesus Christ and all that He's done for us. And I can't wait as we uh, continue to journey through Jesus to share with you some of the truths that, that John lays out in the gospel here. And uh, just we're going to finish up the really what is called the prologue of the gospel of John. Thank <laughs> you. Verse, the first 18 verses just really shares out uh, the the just the beginning and really if it's a synopsis of all that John lays out later in in this uh, gospel but as we look at John and we look at the, the what's shared with us today we realize that John is calling us to behold our God behold who he is behold his deity behold his, uh, his grace and his truth and behold him this morning and as we gather together in the word of God it's so vital and so important for us as a church family to to say, listen, it, we need to behold Him. We need to look upon Him. We need to be encouraged by Him because when we, we worship the Lord Jesus Christ, all of these things, all of these temporal things, they wane in significance. You know, I'm I'm reminded of the book of Colossians. He says, set your affection on things above and not on things of this earth. Why? Because if we set our affections, our love, our our attention on these things of this earth, we can despair, we can become fearful, we can uh, can groan with anticipation of all that's going to happen. But when we set our affections on things above, it is so much better. And so that's what John is uh, sharing with us here. And so join with me in John chapter 1 and verse number 14 today. And we're going to finish uh, verses 14 through 18 and finish up the prologue this morning. It says, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bare witness of Him and cried, saying, This is He of whom I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred before me, for He was before me. And of His fullness have all we received, and grace for grace. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. No man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, He hath declared Him. Let us stop and pray today. Father, thank You for this tremendous gospel. And Lord, for some in here, it may be a rehashing of Uh, some old truths. But Lord, uh, may we never grow callous. Lord, never let us grow cold to who you are. May our hearts continue to be tender uh, toward your majesty. May we just choose this morning to pause and gaze upon the Savior. We thank you for Jesus Christ and thank you for what he has meant to us over the years. Lord, I I just think about... uh, how uh, you saved my soul so many years ago, and God, I'm thankful for that. And so as we gather together, together as a church, would you encourage, Lord, would you help us, Lord, to be renewed in our spirit because of our, an opportunity we've had to look upon your precious Son. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. As we look here together in uh, these four verses, there's uh, just a few things I want to share with you about what John uh, really describes for us here in the uh, and as he goes through this uh, gospel, we see that there's some things that he wants to point out, out to us, and we've already seen this in the text already. But I want to just re-emphasize a little bit different aspect. is as, as almost like a layers of an onion. He begins to peel back and reveal some things about the Lord and His deity. And so we're going to gaze upon His deity to, to begin this morning. In verse 14, we uh, this is a very common verse. We've shared it with you uh, during Christmas season, and oftentimes we rehearse John 1:14, and it says, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and so we find really, uh, if we look in these first eighteen verses here in the prologue, we're going to find three key turning points, three key verses in this. Verse number one is a, is very incremental. Verse number fourteen and verse number eighteen. And verse number one, he says, "In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God." John states that Jesus Christ is the eternal, and uh, and he is also essential. He is God. He is divine. Amen. And as we look at that, the second statement is made in verse number 14 where John emphasizes that the mystery of the incarnation... And I'm thankful that we can see we see him that men did see him face to face they gazed upon him I think of Thomas as as he was the doubting apostle but even at the end he believed because he had seen well these men then began to propagate that gospel and First Corinthians chapter 15 reveals to us that that we have the evidence from eyewitness evidence First John chapter one as well and in other places we see that that what we hold in our hands is not some fictitious Book, but eyewitness accounts of all that the the apostles had seen. It's a glorious thing for us to behold Him. It's a glorious thing for us to be, for uh, us to have this revealed to us. And finally, in verse number eighteen. There's one more key verse that we're going to look at here at the end of the message today as he says, No man hath seen God at any time, the only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. And so as we look here, we're going to see the humanity of the Lord was not something just temporarily assumed uh, and then later discarded. It was a way God expressed himself here. And so we see that his deity is revealed here in this moment. And I'm thankful for the fact that the Word became flesh. Now, when a child is born in this world, uh, you know there's a ooze and the ahs. And yesterday I was visiting and I got to hold a, a precious little baby who was not very old. And as I was uh, there with this child, it was just so precious. And she just had a very sweet and tender spirit. And I, I hugged her and I loved on her, and she was just a very precious cha- baby. And we look at this and we think, man, what a a great baby. A brand new life has been been given. A brand new uh, personality has been formed. And and we look at this and we think, man, this is a great, great thing. But when Jesus was born, it was not the creation of a new personality at all. It was the coming into this world of a person who had existed from all eternity. And that's what he says. Now notice that when when he describes this, that he says the Word was made flesh. It wasn't the flesh was made word. And so it's no wonder that the angels awoke the slumbering shepherds that night with anthems of praise because truly the eternal Word of God became flesh and dwelt among them. And then we, we look at John, and I love the simplicity sometimes of John. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. In the, if you turn to the Gospel of Luke, you'll read almost 2,500 words that describe the Incarnation. Two thousand five hundred words, which and John just introduces this truth with five simple words: "The Word was made flesh." Amen. And is that simple? God became man. And as we look at this, uh, I'm just thankful that God allowed it to be worded in such a way. And matter of fact, if you look at the Greek, you're not going to be able to uh, trans—excuse me—you're not going to be able to interpret it any other way other than the Word became flesh. And I'm thankful that we can't that we can't reverse that. So many religions today want you to believe the flesh became word or the flesh became eternal. Listen, that is not God's word at all. He says literally, and you can read it black and white in your Bible, and the word was made flesh. And if you go to your Greek manuscript, you're going to read the same exact thing. Glory to God. So throughout the world, there there have been many religions, though, that teach that man can become a god. But Jesus Christ is unique. In that... From all other false religions, he's the one that says the God of the universe chose to become a man. And so I'm so thankful for Christ. You know, in his coming, he didn't set aside his deity, but he laid aside the honor of it at times. And so that, and and, and I'm thankful that as he chose to become a man, that we were able to see him. But I want you to see that his deity was was essential, it was requisite, it was a necessary. You see, as we look at the Scriptures in John chapter 14, it says, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father. You see... It was not the first time nor the last time that the, in the Gospel of John that we're introduced to the reality that Jesus is God. For some, they wonder why it even matters if Jesus is God, but it does matter greatly. We can't cast aside these, robe, these robes of His. And so we see here in verse 14, he says, He dwelt among us. This word dwelt is in uh, skinosin, which carries the idea of pitching a tent. And if you will, He tabernacled among us is another way to put it. And so John's use of the word here uh, indicates that that he literally pitched a tent. And so let's go back and think about the tabernacle with us and the typology uh, that is there in the Old Testament. And the tabernacle was uh, all glorious within, uh, but inside was, a, a, a. on the outside, it was just an ordinary tent. It was an ordinary looking structure and maybe larger than the other tents that were coupled around it. And you can kind of see a depiction of it, an artist's depiction of it here. But as we look at that, you know, it doesn't look super fantastic. But if you go to the inside, that's where the glory of God resided. And so all the furniture on the outer court was made of ordinary brass. Go to the next picture, Brian. The curtains of the outer court were of unadorned linen. They were bleached by the sun. The only flash of color was at the gate, which gave access to the brazen altar and they hinted at some of the treasures that were hidden within. But without, you look at it from the outside, and there was nothing spectacular or maybe necessarily glorious about this tabernacle. To the eye of the casual beholder, it was just another tent, a space... Uh, something spaced off from the tents of the common people, maybe imposing in its dimensions, but regardless, just a tent. Even when the tabernacle was moved from place to place, every piece of golden furniture that was within it was carefully hidden and shielded and moved and then set up once again so that no of the eyes of the curious could behold it. You know, as we think about the Lord Jesus Christ, the glory of the Lord was hidden, glory. When he came to pitch his tent among us, he didn't lay aside his deity, but he veiled his glory. The inside of the tabernacle, if we go there to the next picture, we'll see the only by the priest. This was only seen by the priests. It was glorious. The inner hangings were of purple and blue and scarlet. They were fine linen. All the inner furniture was gold or overlaid with gold. The mysterious Shekinah glory of God, the cloud which overshadowed the camp of Israel, came to rest on the mercy seat there in the Holy of Holies. And John said, we beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father. You see, sometimes as they gazed upon Jesus Christ, it was just another babe that was born in a manger, another child running with his friends in the field, another man in the tabernacle attending worship. But He was much more than that. See, because He was God. It is this Jesus that willingly took up residence. It is this Jesus that took up residence in bodily form that was absolutely necessary for our salvation. You see, I couldn't die for you. You see, I have my own sins, but Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He was perfect. He alone can atone for sins. And the Old Testament sacrificial system that is depicted by what you see here and some of the previous pictures, it was, uh, this Old Testament sacrificial system could not... Take away sins. Listen to what Hebrews 10, 3 and 4 says. But in those sacrifices, there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. You see, Christ knew that uh, and, and God knew that this could not remove, couldn't take away the penalty of our sins, couldn't remove them from the world. And so uh, Christ came for that end and for that purpose. Hebrews goes on later in, verses, uh, in chapter 10, verses 8 through 10. It says, above when, he said, sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings, and offering for sin thou wouldest not, neither hadst pleasure therein which are offered by the law. Then said he, lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second, by the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. You see, every year that earthly priest would come and they would offer sacrifices, but their sacrifices would fall short of the need. They would never be able to remove or take away the sins. And so Jesus Christ came so that His sacrifice would be once for all. And as a side note, when, when we take uh, the Lord's Supper, we don't uh, believe in the doctrine of transubstantiation, where, we, where that bread becomes the literal body or that uh, cup becomes the literal blood of Jesus Christ. We don't buy into that because His sacrifice was once and that was all that was needed. But because of the deity of Christ, because of who He was, when He laid down His life, His sacrifice was all that was needed. Amen. Look at the next couple of verses, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 12 through 14. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God, from henceforth, expecting till his enemies be made his, uh, his footstool, for by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. January 31st, 1988, I put my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I, asked, I said, Lord, I'm a sinner, forgive me. I repented and, and I put my faith in Christ and said, I need, to, I need you as my Savior. And at that moment, I, his, his, uh, his forgiveness... His sanctification, excuse me, his justification was a once and permanent in my life. I never had to have it again. I've never had to say, Lord, I, I, I need your salvation again. His salvation was instantaneous at that moment. In his book, um, An Anthropologist on Mars, Oliver Slacks tells about Virgil. He was a man who had been blind from his early childhood. When he was 50, Virgil underwent surgery and was given the gift of sight. But as he and uh, the doctor found out soon that having the physical capability for sight is not the same thing as seeing. Virgil's first experiences with sight were confusing. He could make out some colors, some movements, but arranging them into some sort of coherent picture was much more difficult, and over time he was able to identify various objects, but his habits and his behaviors were still those of a blind man. You see, because after 50 years of living as a blind man, he still uh, was, uh, acted as though he was blind. You see, because to truly see Jesus in His truth means more than just observing what He did or said. It means a change of identity. As you and I behold Jesus Christ and behold His deity, we must be transformed by that truth from the inside out. Old things are passed away and all things are become new. And so John was teaching here and John was showing the Word was made flesh... And dwelt among us. We needed his. Uh, we we need to come to him, behold him, and receive him unto ourselves, as verse number twelve mentions as well. But we see in, in the latter part of this, in becoming the flesh, the Word did not cease to be God. And so there's a unity in His person, both as, uh, in His flesh and in His deity. He is divine, and yet He became flesh. In this act, He became subject to all the conditions of human experience. You know, sometimes people say, well, Jesus was a perfect baby. He never cried. I don't believe that at all. He cried just like every other baby. He, he had the weaknesses just like every other one. Mothers want to think that, 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 Jesus, that maybe Mary had it easy, Right? She didn't have to wake up in the middle of the night to feed the baby because the baby was crying, but the reality was that that's a form of communication for a baby. But he experienced weakness. He experienced dependence. He, uh, he experienced all the things that we do. Even he was subject to temptation. He could have sinned, but this is what it, the Hebrew says. He did not sin. He was sinless. His humanity is real, and it does not take away from his divinity. We see both his human weakness and also His divine majesty working and living in one eternal being. So as John looked back, he saw Christ. Christ that that is full of grace, full of truth. He sees this this Christ, and he has a a burden and a desire to share share this Christ with others. And we look at the following of, of the verse here, and we look here at the end, we see in verse 14, the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. As we look here, we see that the, the word grace is the word uh, charis, and it means accepted, or uh, what we often say is it's unmerited favor. But it's the, it cares the idea of displaying goodwill or loving kindness and favor. It is this grace that filled Christ. It is this grace that displayed as, uh, displayed as Christ that, uh, that He shared with those He came with. to meet. For example, when he, when he met Nicodemus that night and, uh, and, and shared with him the truth that you must be born again in John chapter 3, that was God's grace on display. His grace was revealed when he journeyed to Samaria and met the woman at the well. No, no good Jew would have, uh, one, gone through Samaria. No good Jew would have been willing to meet this woman at the well, and yet his grace was on display. And then His grace was demonstrated as He healed the lame man. Remember, His friends knocked a hole in the, in the roof and let him down, and, and He uh, chose to heal him, even though it was this Sabbath day in John chapter 5. And then His grace was on display as He fed the multitudes and with a, the few pieces of fish and bread. You see, His grace was on display when He shared the truth of who He was, when He, when he talked with others, or when He walked on the waters and, and He spoke peace to the raging sea. We could go on and on and on about all the great things that Jesus Christ has done and the grace that was on display. But the greatest revelation of the grace of God was seen when Jesus Christ died in our place. The greatest demonstration of God's grace is when Jesus stretched out His arms and He died for you and for me. And as John writes this in, in, in John 1, 14, he says, Listen, the, the, uh, the eternal God, the Word, was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory, as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And God, John saw and witnessed time and time again the wonderful grace of Jesus over and over and over again. And the greatest of all displays is when he crawled, uh, opened his arms and demonstrated to all mankind his love on the cross but also he says he's we're called to behold his truth you see john was full of grace john shared that jesus was full of grace but it was also truth and these two are imperative in our lives we must have them both together grace is seen in his dealings with people uh, and there was compassion and there was love there but truth is seen in his words and teaching was intertwined with these acts of great mercy, and as we have in the ministry of Jesus, perfect redemption, His grace and this revelation of truth. And so his grace comes from the one, who, uh, the one who is life and the truth has come from the one who is light. So there's light and life in Jesus Christ. He is here, we see, revealed in Jesus Christ, the character of the Incarnate Word. He's full of grace, but He's full of truth. You know, I've noticed that truth seems to be a forgotten thing. Truth is whatever I want it to be. It becomes relative to the moment, relative to what I desire. But God says truth is Jesus. Truth is from Him, and it emanates from Him. And if God is unchanging, then truth should not change. And so the truth that we find in the Word of God is is what Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Warren Wiersbe stated, Jesus Christ has fullness of grace and truth. Grace is God's favor and kindness bestowed on those who do not deserve it and cannot earn it. If God dwelt with us only according to truth, none of us would survive. But He deals with us on the basis of grace and truth. Jesus Christ in His life, death and resurrection, met all the demands of the law. Now God is free to share fullness of grace with those who trust Christ. Because grace without truth would be deceitful. And truth without grace would be condemning. May we lift up the truth of the Lord Jesus. Amen. May we be able to say, listen, friend, neighbor, let me share with you the truth of who Jesus is. Because He is full of both grace and truth. And so let our voices ring out in this generation, in this moment, in this time, that Jesus Christ is both grace and truth in all of this. Look in verse 15 with me as we see his preeminence. Now we see John once again crying. John, come back on the scene. and Again, we've talked about him off and on already. But he says, This is he of whom I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. We behold here his preeminence. His testimony is that Jesus was before him. But if you go to Luke chapter 1, and if you were to read through the incarnation of Christ, we're going to read the story of when Jesus Christ was made flesh, and you read about John the Baptist and his birth, you would learn that Christ was born about six months after John. But John states, the word, and John states, He that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. You see, he's not pointing to that birth uh, in the Bethlehem. He was pointing to the reality of Jesus Christ has always been. He is eternal in, in eternity past. And so I just want to remind you that John even points to this. Listen, Jesus is eternally God. He didn't become, it wasn't the flesh became Word, but the Word became flesh. What a glorious truth. And John states that his life then has a purpose, and that was to point people to Jesus Christ. And we see this played out in John's life, and we'll see it going forward. But in John's life, we see in John chapter 3 that, that in the end of his ministry, he says, listen, he must increase and I must decrease. Why? Because my job is to point people to Christ. My job is to say he gets the preeminence. He is the one. And let me just remind you, that's our job too today. You know, it's not about a preacher. It's not about a, a man. It's not about uh, just uh, us. It's about Jesus. Amen. In everything, it's not my ministry, it's the Lord's ministry. It's not, it's not this, it's not me, it's about Him. And let us as a church be able to say, listen, it's not about the great things that we do, but it's the great things that He has done. Let's make Him preeminent. Because even John said in Mark chapter 1, and verse 7, and, and, the, and preached saying, There cometh one mightier than, uh, than I after me, the latchet of whose shoes I am not worthy to stoop down and unloose. Listen, he knew who needed the the preeminence. He knew who deserved all of the the attention, and his name is Jesus. I want you to look with me as we we continue in verse number 17, Then we see his revelation. Verse 17 says, For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. No man hath seen God at any time, the only begotten Son... Which is in the bosom of the Father, He hath declared Him. You know, where the law was impersonal, it was peeled out from the Mount Sinai and the scenes of great terrifying grandeur, and and it was engraved upon cold tablets of stone. Grace and truth were wrapped up in the warm and vibrant human flesh and brought into this world by Jesus Christ. That's the difference. That's what we were, uh, was revealed to us. And as he says in verse 17, "But grace and truth came by Jesus Christ." He says, "Listen, it's, it's not about just that cold. follow the laws. you've got to do these and, 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 and have this. Listen. It was, listen, the grace and the truth of God was revealed through Jesus Christ. The reality was that the law points to one thing: my inability to be good. As I read through the law and I read through the different things that God has laid out, I realize I can't do it. I can't keep all of the laws. I can't keep my be perfectly uh, in, in place and all all the things that were needed to keep. I can't do it. But Jesus Christ is a perfect sonless, uh, perfect Son of God who was completely sinless. He was able to keep all uh, and be perfect and prepare himself for Calvary. Listen, human failure to keep the moral law necessitated the giving of the ceremonial law so that guilt could be covered until it could be canceled at Calvary. But it wasn't until Jesus came that truth and grace could be fully implemented in a peerless human being. And so in Old Testament times, God, uh, as we look at the Old Testament, God gave people visions, theophanies, angelic visits but they all fell short of the view of God. Men like Abraham, Jacob, Moses, Manoah, David, Daniel, Isaiah, and Ezekiel, they all had manifestations of God given to them. The glory of the Lord, the angel of the Lord, the word of the Lord came to the patriarchs and the prophets, but none of them saw God as God. And so God sent Jesus Christ. He says emphatically, emphatically, "He says no man hath seen God. And so as we look at this, we see that it is Jesus Christ that reveals Him. If you look forward in John, we see in John chapter 14 that if you've seen Me, you've seen the Father. And so Jesus, as we look at Him, He says, listen, when you gaze upon the Lord Jesus Christ, through His deity, through His divinity, we see uh, I'm able to gaze upon God today. Though He was man, He was God. Today, As a church, individually, we look and we we see all that Jesus is. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld the glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And we see that He is the one that that God calls us that is full of grace. He's full of truth. We can behold those things. We can behold the revelation of Christ. We can see these things because God chose to give us His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. In a day when people are struggling for truth, in a day when people are looking for answers, let me remind you, church, that today God has given us the answer. God's given us hope. God's given us light. And when we respond to the truth that I'm a sinner in need of salvation, then I see the grace of God shine through. When I have a heart full of repentance, it leads to salvation. And today He's calling us, will you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? The question is, will you behold Him? Will you see the greatness of our awesome God? Christian, I urge you not to see the, the dire circumstances, you know, because it's easy to get our eyes on all this world and all the problems and everything, but instead to believe that God uh, is still on the throne. He, he is still the Lord of all. He's not dead. He is still God, and we can still worship and bow before Him. There's still room at the cross, and Jesus still saves. Listen, when we come back to those simple truths like I opened with this, this morning, when we come back to those simple basic things, we can know that we have confidence to go forward. You see, God is urging us in this time to to just come back to Him and say, "Listen, Lord, we need You above everything else." You know, I, and we look at. I talk with people uh, quite a bit every week, and I and I, I was able to make quite a few visits this week as I was in homes in different places. And people, I'll be honest. Sometimes we we wonder what's going to happen. You know, I honestly I'm praying for peace in our nation for this week. Uh, everything I hear uh, is, not, is not good, uh, you know, and we, we hear some things that are potentially could be very uh, devastating for our nation. But my hope is not in those things, my hope is in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the revelation of God to us today. He is full of grace and truth. He is God manifest in the flesh. And as we come and we bow before Him this morning, we can have confidence in who He is. And this time, and and maybe things might get tough, amen? And, And you know, we may face some difficult roads and journeys ahead, but let me just remind you that God uses these situations to draw us back to Him and say, Listen, God, you are God. You may take away everything else, but you're still God. And we still love you, and we still worship you. Behold our God today. Behold who He is, behold His divinity.